name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The enthusiastic greeting of Jesus of Nazareth, of course, as you all know, has to do with the fact that the news of the raising of a man who had been dead for four days had spread like wildfire through the city of Jerusalem. A man who had already gone into rigor, had begun to decay and to stink. Jesus had wept. God weeps in the presence of human mortality, weeps for the victimization of man by something that was not created by God and not intended by him but which is the sobering consequence of the misuse of that human freedom which constitutes the image of God in us. The largest possible issues are involved in all of these things. We therefore, joining the children of Jerusalem who greet this astounding young rabbi, with their piping hosannas, with uh, the cloaks that they put down in the path of the donkey on which he rides, the branches of trees that they strip off the trees and wave to honor him as the king of that city, which is the midst of the earth, we ourselves join them, waving our branches as well. For today confronts us once again, as the Gospel always confronts us, with that question which is so disturbing, the question of our ultimate allegiance, that which we desire so much, that we would do anything, that we would sacrifice anything to win its possession. Christ, who is hailed as a king, as the head of this city, is, of course, very close to being utterly misunderstood. The Hosanna which has a true meaning, can also have an ugly meaning. It can pervert and distort and reduce the Messiah to merely a strong man who will solve certain current problems that bother us. The Romans, for example. But Rome, as unbelievable as it would have sounded to anyone at that time, Rome would pass and become a dirty medieval village and not more. And all the big burning questions that moved men to passion, to anger, to hatred, 
to killing, all those issues would blow away like the seeds of dandelions before the wind. And they would be gone and they would not exist anymore. And so Christ does not get involved with being an ersatz messiah. His messiahship is authentic and he keeps his eye on what is truly needful. He knows, and we understand that he knows, that the voices who cry out to hail him as their king in short days will cry out for his death and for his blood. Today he hears Hosanna. Towards the end of the week he will hear crucify him. Crucify him. He knows what the issues really are, as all those milling about him do not know. And how accurately the gospel this morning depicts the life that we all know and lead. While these great issues of life and death, of the crucifixion of the incarnate God, are being settled in the hearts of politically minded men. There is the woman who comes with a jar of spikenard. There is the conversation with Judas Iscariot. There is the question of how to help the poor. And all of that that is constantly going around like a cloud of mosquitoes distracting us as it distracted them from the one thing needful. And how hard it is to keep your eye on the prize, to keep your head when everybody about you is yanking and shoving and pulling with issues that finally do not amount to a hill of beans. And yet... They preoccupy us, they mesmerize us, they fascinate us, they move us powerfully. These little ants that crawl around. And Christ is looking through and past all of this to that great sacrifice which he will be called upon to undertake, which he is already called upon to undertake, which he was called upon to undertake, even as he was born in the cave in Bethlehem, short furlongs from where these events of today are occurring. And the question for us boils down not merely to allegiance. It is a question of ultimate allegiance. We know that we are called upon by the gospel of Jesus Christ to be good citizens, even in a pagan empire run by an emperor worshipped as a god. We know that. We understand that we must make the best of bad situations. We know that. We know that there will be times when we must live in nations whose laws express an utter rejection of Jesus Christ and his gospel. 
We understand that. And we know that all those things being true, yet we must remain honorable men and women, sustaining our integrity, even when those who rule over us have no integrity whatsoever. We know that. We know what St. Paul summoned us to when he called upon his communities to pray for the emperor. And that emperor, as a matter of fact, was Nero, one of the earliest and worst persecutors of Christians. But our allegiance, our ultimate allegiance, is not to any kingdom of this earth. We should pay our taxes honorably. We should obey the laws. We should not speed. We should not drive in a distracted and dangerous way. But that is not because we assume that those laws and those kings have any ultimate sway over us, our minds, or our hearts. Our true king remains Jesus Christ. The true constitution for us, our true bill of rights, is the gospel. And about that, there can never be for any of us any question whatsoever. And yes, that ultimate allegiance will, from time to time, here and there, run us afoul of the laws of the kings of this world, and we may end up in the gulags that are constructed by the logics of this world, and we may end up paying the ultimate price of our heart's blood itself. Yes, and we should do so joyfully. because our ultimate allegiance is not to the kings of this world who make prisons for men, but to the king of the universe who exists to set all men free. That is where our ultimate allegiance is. That is why we carry these boughs of these trees, why we wave them, wave them triumphantly, for today we see what victory means in the terms of this earth. The victory will be real enough on Sunday when Christ's Passover from death to life will become known. That victory is the ultimate victory, a victory like unto no victory that we men can know in earthly terms. But to get to that victory, Christ passes through an astonishing ocean of human pettiness, of concerns that are trivial, frivolous, mean-spirited, and wicked. And the truth of the matter is that those who are citizens of the kingdom of God must cope with exactly the same mindless pettiness, mindless meanness, mindless wickedness. 
All that is true of Christ must be true of us, or we are not of Christ. The question that the day brings home to us so powerfully is the probing, sober, searching, questioning of our own hearts concerning our own ultimate allegiances. Where do they lie? To whom do we actually give our ultimate homage? To whom do we pledge our ultimate loyalty, no matter what? For whom would we die? And just as, with just as much difficulty, for whom will we live? These ultimate allegiances are not merely to be determined in the light of presidents and leaders and statesmen of our own time. We are the generation that worships itself. And our ultimate allegiance may not be to any national leaders, to no earthly king at all. We may view them with a fine contempt. On the other hand, we may, in fact, be giving our ultimate allegiance to our own ego. We may be worshipping not kings, but our own self. What is at issue in this question of allegiance is a very old question indeed. Is it not true that this day finally boils down to a question of idolatry. May God grant that in the light of the coming week, where we will accompany our Savior along his painful path to that victory which he shares with each of us, so that we may not dissolve into the final oblivion of hell, May God grant that through this week it will become utterly true and clear that our allegiance is to none other than Christ the Lord and that when we call him Lord, we mean it. Amen.